morning, good afternoon. We are turning here to page 10 on the bulletin if you want it. If, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, wrapping up our series here. It has been a pleasure and an honor to share this with you, to exhort with you guys and gals, and I'm um, just truly honored and grateful for that. So if you would, join me now hearing the word of the Lord, starting in chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who, built, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in, in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, humbly coming before you now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the opportunity to come together in peace and in harmony, to be able to hear your word, to be with your church, and to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, please speak through me now. Soften our hearts and our ears to hear what you would hear us, have us hear and get everything else out of the way, Lord. We come before you, and we lift it up on the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I am excited. I had a little bit of a gap there. I missed you guys. Um, 
because of hurricanes and then being in other places. So I appreciate your patience, and I'm glad to be wrapping this up with you today. Um, for the opener, for, for, t- for today, specifically chapter 4, we're looking at two settings. We're going to unpack two specific settings. One is this courtroom drama that's unfolding with Boaz, that, that has Boaz as kind of this courtroom hero. And the other is this climactic point with Naomi. And that's the kind of the, two, the way that the chapter 4 is split. That Boaz is this hero standing on God's loss, continuing, continuing to, to lean into what God has told him to do, acting exactly how God has prescribed. And we have the fulfillment of God's promise to redeem and to take care of Naomi. And it's this happy story. It's this, we, we had said before that if you wanted to read ahead and cheat, it's okay because it's reading the Bible and there's never anything wrong with that, that it's ending with a happy story. There's a happy ending to this. And it's this happiness that we see God repurposing our reality, that at the end of the day, God can repurpose our reality. So I said this is the culmination of this story. It's the climactic point. We have witnessed so much transpire over the last uh, four chapters. It's a, it's a small book, but there's a lot going on. And I had said before, I was actually saying to my brother Gene, I would have loved to have gone on for like three months with this. Um, that's not how summer internships work. But uh, definitely, if you ever want to sit down and chat about it, I'm, I've been reading way too much. So um, I'm definitely down to talk more. <laughs> uh, we've, we've witnessed so much unfold in, the, in these four chapters, though. Uh, it, was, it was initially uh, an act of unbelief that started us off. It was this unbelief that Elimelech had that, he, that God would provide for him and his, and his family. And so he left God, he abandoned God, you remember, and went to the country of Moab to try to provide for his family. It was this unbelief that actually led to him coming across Ruth and marrying his son off to a, a Moabite woman. And it was actually her belief in God, Ruth's belief in God, that called her into covenant with him and had her sticking with Naomi after her husband died, after her father-in-law died, it had her sticking with Naomi and go, leaving Moab, leaving everything behind in Moab to go towards nothing in, in Bethlehem, going into nothing in Judah except her believing in the promise that God would provide for her, that, uh, that God would bless her through all these things. And we talked a little bit about uh, that the, the providence of God, that God is Lord in our lives and he's Redeemer in our lives, and that God will bless us through these adversities, that he's going to move in ways that we might not expect, but also those blessings are going to come in ways that we might not expect, that they, it might not be exactly as we think it would be. It might not be an immediate healing. It might not be the political person that we want in charge. It might not be the, the big job that we wanted, but it's going to be working out for our good and for his glory throughout. And our call time and time again through this book, time and time again through Scripture, is to emulate this faith that is depicted so beautifully by Ruth, this foreigner who did not know the promises of Yahweh. She was not brought up in a loving church like this. She didn't know the promises that God had in store for her and had it drilled into her in in catechism and seeing it lived out in the families around her. That's not something she experienced. That's not something she experienced at all. And yet she believed in the promises of God. And it's this faithfulness, this inconvenient faith that brings us into introduction with Boaz, this man who holds the exact same kind of faith, that has this exciting, exuberant faith that he clings to God's law, not because he has to, not reluctantly, not upset that he has to do these things, but both of them happily displaying what we, what we talked about has said, this sign of a, of a covenant, this promise that is made between God and his people and the blessing that comes with that faithfulness. That sticking to and being faithful to his prescribed law and pursuing his will in all things will lead to blessing. Now again, we're saying blessing might not look the way you expect it to. In this story, we now know it does. It's, there's a happy ending to this. Not always the case as you work through other stories. Blessing is going to look differently for every person. But in chapter 3, 
uh, it brings to light this grace that is working abundantly. Um, just kind of recapping chapter 3, you remember we talked about this idea that timing takes, patient, uh, timing takes practice. There's a, there's a level of, of patience that has to come when you're operating inside of the channel of God. When you're operating and stepping forth in faith, there's, there's, a, there's timing that takes practice. That it's working abundantly and we're called to be peaceful and to, to build this over time and through intentional practice. And all of this now has culminated in chapter 4. All of the, the trials and tribulations that Ruth and Naomi have faced, the patience that, that Boaz has, dis, has displayed, the godliness that Boaz has displayed as well, it now culminates in chapter 4, in chapter four. through providence, through faith, through blessing, and his, in his timing, reality can be repurposed. Reality can be repurposed. And through this story, we witness the inconvenient grace of God more than anything else. We keep saying, going back to the fact that God is the main character here. He's, he's the primary character, and all these other people are kind of ancillary characters to display what is going on in God's heart for us. And it's really a story of God's inconvenient grace. Because Christians in the room, we believe, like we just did the, 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 the Nicene Creed, we, we believe that God is the creator of everything, that he is the, the orchestrator of everything, and that we are inherently sinful beings that he calls into his presence, that he calls into his relationship. But he, we are marred by sin. We are stained. He doesn't have to do any of that. He doesn't have to do any of that. He calls us into relationship with him by his own volition, on his own accord. And if, we, if he chose to not, if he chose to judge us for the sinfulness that we have, and we talked about uh, the, the parameters, Brother Eric just brought it up in, in, our, in our confession meditation, all these things that, that are prescribed by the law and then some. Jesus actually expands it on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not enough to not kill someone. Do you, do you have hate in your heart? Then you're guilty of murder. So it's this, this tremendous weight to be judged by, this tremendous thing to be judged by, and God sees fit somehow to repurpose us, to cleanse us and to repurpose us and to send us back out with an outworking of faith to do his work. This is what we mean when we call God Lord. We, we understand that he is literally a Lord, like he's king over us, and that we come to him for permission and for blessing because we can't do anything of our own volition. We can't do it on our own. And God somehow, and this is a, this is a meditation I have over, over a glass of scotch, I don't understand why me. I don't understand why my wife, why, why us. I, that's something that is well beyond. I have so many questions to ask, and I don't know if we even get those answers at the end of the day. But God chooses to redeem, he chooses to restore, and he chooses to repurpose us in our lives. And in this church, we have a reformed view of Scripture. We, we, believe that, we believe the Bible when it says that God has complete control. We believe that God is deeply involved in the going-ons of our, life, of our lives. And this means even the, the bad things that happen to us that there's purpose behind these bad things. It means even the ability to show up to church and to sing his praise. He gives us the strength and the ability to actually worship him. Everything comes from him. And now, this doesn't, this doesn't relinquish responsibility. Um, it doesn't ex exempt us from judgment. It doesn't, it doesn't get us, uh, it doesn't, it's not like a get out of jail free card because God has orchestrated life around us. Um, but what it does do is it gives absolute meaning to our lives. It means that every single thing that we have experienced that we are going through currently has a reason, has a purpose. All these things that you, that you might be experiencing, good and bad, are being worked together for a reason. 
And this sovereign work of God, it leads eventually and inevitably to the magnifying of his glory. That's why we're here. That's why we're put into existence. That's why we're called into his purposes. Yes, it's for blessing. It's great to have families and friends and good times. But no matter what it is that we're facing, we're called to glorify God. That is the reason we exist as Christians. We, we mentioned uh, that uh, Romans 8.28, that God, God is calling and will do good for all those according to his, called according to his purpose. But we continued it one more verse, right? That one more verse says we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. That it's, that it's not just, hey, I'm, I'm a nice guy, I'm going to do all good. Like, it, it's a feel-good verse, and sometimes you need that. But it's more than that. We're actually being called according to his purpose, meaning we're being called to con- be an image-bearer of God in, our, in, the, in the lives around us. That we're called to be a, represent- a representative of God in our workplace, in our families. In our, in, 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 and that means extended families that we don't get along with all that well and that we have arguments over Instagram and Facebook. It means, it means being this, this display of godliness to these people that we might actually not inherently or naturally have patience for. Nothing short of bearing the image of God will do, in our lives will do. And it's abiding in this will, abiding in, in God's will for us, that we find this repurposing in our lives. And so this initially oral tradition, we talked about how it was, uh, it was re- originally oral, an oral tradition that was transcribed later on. This takes an interesting approach to, to really conveying this point, that God is sovereign, that, he's, that he chooses to redeem those he chooses to redeem, and that he's working these things out for his glory. It's a very short story, but it's pointing to God's faithfulness and the outworking of faith that that faithfulness should produce. That this outworking of faith has become something of a change in us. And someone should be able to look at you and say, you are different. Not that you're perfect, but there's something about you that's different. I don't know what it is. As a non-Christian, maybe I don't know what it is, but there's something different going on in your life. There's different, you look at things differently. You act differently. You maybe worry less. Not, not worry at all. As my wife can attest again, like I'm, I'm still a worrier, but you worry differently. And for this story, it's, it lays out, it, it, it takes an interesting approach to laying out the people that God is using to illustrate these points. We, we start off with Naomi, and then we're introduced to Ruth, and then to Boaz. We have Naomi, excuse me, who, who, who describes herself as bitter. She literally tells her friends to call her a different name. She's, I'm Mara. Don't even call me Naomi anymore. I'm bitter. I'm empty. I'm broken. Because you remember, she, she went to Moab following her husband's lead and expecting them to find prosperity in another country, despite not being told to do so by God. And so when she comes back, she's, she's miserable. She's broken. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. And she's left, yes, she's left with Ruth, but that's, a, that's, not a great, that's not a great prize for her to be coming back to, to Judah with, is a, a foreign woman. We have Ruth. We're introduced through, through Naomi. We have Ruth, who's at first, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm reading this story over and over again, and, I, and I'm wondering, oh my gosh, I feel like she's kind of naive. She's, she's kind of naive in the way that she acts. And I realize that she just has such abundant faith that it's actually foreign to me. Like the way that she lives her life is... I have to be honest with you, it's so foreign. This faithfulness just to step out time and time and time again with utter faithfulness that God will provide. Yes, the circumstances don't seem like it's leaning in my favor, but God will provide. And then through, uh, through Ruth, we're, we're introduced to Boaz. This man, again, whose actions seem foreign to me because he is a righteous, godly man. 
He is a man who understands deeply God's law, understands deeply what it means to actually abide in that, and clings to it in every aspect of his life when it comes to the way he conducts himself in business, when it comes to the way he conducts himself with women, when it comes to the way he conducts himself with his workers. We see that all throughout Scripture in in, in the book of Ruth, all through these four chapters. And as we wrapped up in chapter 4, you notice it actually goes backwards. So we went Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and now we're going Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. We're closing with Naomi. We see a repurposing in all of their lives. For Boaz, this chapter begins with him. He's up early doing exactly what he said he would do. I don't know if you recall. I'll turn back for it and read just the end of chapter 3 in verse 18. She replied, this is Naomi replying, replying to Ruth, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but settle the matter today. Now, I don't know if you remember, because it was a few weeks ago, but they had this interaction where Naomi had kind of pushed Ruth to, pushed her into kind of a precarious situation, got her dolled up, smelling fresh, go and kind of flirt, and see what happens. Just, just see what happens. Don't, don't try to put any moves on, on Boaz. Just see what happens. Lay at his feet and, you know, what will be will be. And Boaz didn't get, didn't get confused by this. He, he didn't get tempted by that. And as he wrapped up, he, he said, you know what? Go back to your mother-in-law. Take this food with you. I'm going to bless you despite... But despite the scenario, despite her pushing you into the scenario, I'm going to bless her as well. Take this food back to her. And I promise you, I'm, I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to go handle this situation. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out uh, whether it's me or someone else, you will be redeemed. And I will make sure that happens. So he took this responsibility on himself. And he woke up early and he got to work. And it begins with him doing exactly that. I mean, honestly, you could, we, could, we could spend a couple weeks on just the first, on, on just the first couple verses of this chapter because... It's amazing that he, his goal was to go out and assemble these elders and to start proceeding with, the role, uh, with, re, with finding out the role of the Redeemer. And immediately it says, literally, behold. So when, when Scripture says behold, it normally is like an attention grabber. Like, check it out. Look right here. Behold, here's the guy he was looking for. Like, right away. And it, it reminds me of, of when we talked about Ruth landing in happens by happenstance, landing on, in the field of Boaz, happening upon... The, the one most godly man in the entire neighborhood that was going to treat her like a servant of God. He kept calling her like a servant, a daughter. And, oh, I can't believe you treat me like a servant despite me not being a servant. And so, coincidentally, and air quotes for, for future posterity and recordings, <laughs> coincidentally, she, she la- uh, he, this man walks across Boaz's path. And so this timing, again, is just pointing to the never-ending involvement of God's providence in our lives. I don't know if you've had interactions like that where you've bumped into someone that you were thinking about or, or you bumped into the person you needed to talk to or someone came across your path. Some of, my, some of my well-intentioned friends from other faiths will be like, oh, that's the universe. You, you thought it into existence. I don't, I'm not that powerful. I'm not that powerful. Like, God places people in front of you when you need to be placed in front of you. The the reason why I'm here with you today is because Pastor Ben came into my life three and a half, four years ago in a function that had no direction of leading me to be with you, exhorting the word today. It's, it's, It's the way that these things work, the friendships and the loved ones that we have in our lives. You'll notice over time, looking back, like it just, things unfold the way that God intends them to. And so Boaz... Boaz sees this and, again, is not tempted to, to take matters into his own hands. He goes about it the right way. He goes about, 
He approaches this man, in my opinion, with, with very pure intentions. He goes to this guy and says, hey, listen, there's a land, a parcel of land to buy. You're next in line for it. Um, you know, the land is obviously a marketable thing. The, the, the famine has passed, right? We talked about the, the famine hitting this land. It has passed. There's money to be made. And so he's saying, hey, there's this land that you might want to get. And he's like, and he initially says, absolutely, I want to redeem it. He sees the profitability of it. And yet, there's also Ruth. Like, it's not just, it's not just going to be uh, you, you purchasing this land and, and tilling it and making money for the rest of your life. It's also taking the responsibility of, of, of another man's widow and forsaking your line, forsaking your inheritance, and, and promulgating the line of Elimelech. You have to let go of your inheritances and hold on to this clan now. And that is too much for this guy to bear. That's the thought of letting go of that aspect, even though he is called by God to do so. This is not an optional thing necessarily. Um, there's ways out, obviously, legally speaking, but that's exactly what it is. It's you finding a legal loophole and getting out of it. But I want to note here that Boaz, we talked about la- last time I was up here with you guys, he wants Ruth. It's not just the land. He has the land. He, he actually does want to be with Ruth, and he sees, it, he sees in her a godly woman that he wants to partner with. She makes him better. She makes him a better man. He sees the, the potential that despite his own pursuits, despite his own attempts at holiness, despite his attempts at studying scripture and, to, and to, to praying and to volunteering and involving himself, he sees in Ruth this woman that will make him a better person, that will lift him up when he falls short and that he will lift up when she falls short, which in turn lifts him up and helps him be a better person. Like this is the beauty of marriage, a godly union that he sees the potential in. And so he wants Ruth, but he's also not going about it on his own terms. He's not trying to play any slick games. He's not doing any reverse psychology. He's not trying to talk this guy out of doing what he is supposed to do by God's standards. He places and conducts everything in broad daylight. We talked about the difference of what Naomi was trying to do last time sending Ruth in in the dark in the village and, and, getting, and trying to sneak into the threshing, the, the threshing room and that some of that stuff happens kind of shady. It's in the dark. No one's really paying attention anymore. Lots of bad things can happen when it's dark out. <laughs> Lots of bad things. And when you don't have electricity and shine, shine light on things, it, it, can get a little bit, it can get a little wonky. And, and Boaz insists on going out into broad daylight, calling together witnesses, and going about doing things the right way. He continues to work through God's law to make sense of his redeeming responsibilities. He knows the weight of his decision, too. He's not taking it lightly. He's not just getting excited about a beautiful Moabite woman. He's not just getting excited about the parcel of land. He's taking very seriously the responsibilities that he's, that he's looking into. And he's abandoning his own inheritance. So the same reason that this unnamed failed redeemer wants to avoid it Boaz is actually taking on. He's giving up his own line. He's giving up his own inheritance. God is repurposing Boaz. Like he's a godly man and he's submitting himself and sacrificing his own well-being in the short term and somewhat in the long term. In the short term, he's going out of his own pocket. He's literally taking money that he has. He doesn't need this land. He's taking money he has and he's buying the land. He's paying it, buying it from Naomi. And in doing so, also incurring taking care, care of her for the rest of his life. You're buying a mother-in-law to come live with you and feed and take care of and hang out with for the rest of your life, which is a, a godly thing to do right then and there. Um, he's, he's taking the long-term responsibility to perpetuate some, someone else's lineage. It's a, it's a heavy responsibility. 
And this unnamed would-be redeemer goes down as exactly that. You notice that he's unnamed. There's no, there's no record of this man other than him saying, I don't want to do it. And it's, it's him abandoning God-given responsibilities that lands him in that category. It lands him in the same category as Orpah, turning back to Moab. It, it lands him in the same category as Elimelech, abandoning God and saying, I'm going to go into Moab and try to, and try to find, uh, and try to make my own way outside of God's parameters. And again, it's not Scripture, God, God did not see fit to breathe into Scripture condemnation of these people. We don't know about the, the, the eternal destination of their souls because it's not important to what God is trying to teach us here. What he's trying to have us lean into is this idea of abiding in God's promise and abiding in God's instructions in our lives. And it's emphasizing that this law, it does not come with condemnation when you abide in it. It comes with abundant blessing. It's not a law of condemnation. It's a law of blessing. And it's to be had by those who commit to his will. And in that will, your reality is repurposed. Boaz clung to God's word. You remember Boaz clinging to God's word on the threshing floor. Some, today, some people would have called him a legalist because he's a godly man, he's a good guy, he's well-liked, he's well-established in what we would call a church community. Some people would turn to him and be like, listen, you messed up, it's okay. Like, you can, you can hook up with her. You, you go about things your own way. It, you're a good guy, I love your heart. I love your heart in this. And God, and, and Boaz, he, he didn't mistake this temptation for an opportunity to go about it his own way. He could have clung to his own lands. He didn't have to buy this land parcel from Naomi. To be honest, there's no, given the loopholes that our, that our, our, our predecessors, uh, that the, the Jews had, had exploited at the time, he probably could have married Ruth. You didn't have to go about it this way. You could have, he could have taken her as a wife on the side and never, never, no one would have said anything to him. He's a godly man. He's a good man. But he continues to step up as required of him. He continues to go about it the way that God prescribes it in his law. And we are blessed by this exact same law today. We are instructed by God on how to live a holy life and a, and a fruitful life because of this law. And of course, we fall short. That abiding in, in God's law, abiding and listening to God's law, and trying to, to, to take the prescriptions that are in Scripture that seem so foreign to us living in 2021 in the United States of America, this idea of, of living a holy, chaste life, of, of, of being devoted to one spouse, it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's, it feels foreign. Again, it's like reading just about Ruth. It feels foreign to us. But we are called by Christ who fulfills this law and he gives us the strength to actually complete it. And when we fall short, we're covered and we're forgiven. And again, as Brother Eric said, you stand, we stood today in that and basked in that forgiveness that he, he died for our sins of the past and of the present and of the future. These are things that are already covered, but it doesn't mean we give up on it. It doesn't mean we don't pursue it. It doesn't mean we, step forward, we don't step forward in faith. Because in Christ, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is repurposing us. He's changing us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ in our relationships, in the way that we act, in the way that, things that we believe. He calls us to conform. He calls us to love differently and to want things differently and to act differently and to speak differently and to think differently. We're called to be a different human being in Christ. And to Christians in the room, I ask if you've experienced this change, if you've experienced this fundamental change, it doesn't have to be this massive, you know, holier-than-thou move now, but have you experienced this change in your life where, where you want things differently? You might not even be able to explain why that is. You might not be able to explain what that is, 
but things feel different. You're drawn to different things. You want different things. You pray differently. You act differently. There's this, there's this conflation, I feel, that it's a split between something called antinomianism and legalism. I feel like they're two ideas that are on the same side of, the coin, same side of one coin. Because antinomians mean that they're like against the law. They believe that as Christians, we're completely forgiven. We're completely free from the law. And therefore, we can live as we want to live because, like Eric brought up before, we are, we are forgiven. And so if I accept Christ into my life and I say those magic prayers and I feel good about it, then, I, then the rest will fall where it may. And on the other side of that coin is legalism, where you have people that obsess over the law and obsess on critiquing other people through the law, never really on themselves, but critiquing the rest of the world through that law. And with that obsession become, comes what this Redeemer failed to do, is stepping up and actually fulfilling it, because you're always looking for a loophole to make sense of it. They're the same sides of the same coin, because both of them are, are seeking for us to find ways to forgive ourselves and to operate with loopholes and, and to kind of critique those around us. But in Christ, there's this freedom that comes from, from knowing Jesus. You, you're, not, you're not condemned by the law. We're, our lives are still dictated by it, but they're not condemned by it. I want to read again. Uh, I brought up a couple weeks ago, I read from Proverbs uh, chapter 3. If you want to write it down, I'll read it aloud. Chapter 3, starting in verse 3. It was originally to describe Boaz, but I think that us men and women, we can learn from this as a prescription. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In all your ways, we're acknowledging God. We're acknowledging God's law and God's prescription in our lives. And in that, in that making straight our paths is, is that repurposing. That we, are, we, we see our lives as potentially crooked lines, but God is making straight those paths. And Boaz is seen as this godly figure because of his faith, because of his inconvenient faith to stick to the law, to, 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 to stick to, to God's prescriptions despite anything going, around, going on around him. It's because of this inconvenient faith we witness ongoing hesed, this ongoing covenantal blessing, like God seeing Boaz and taking care of him, God seeing Ruth and taking care of her. And we see it in the blessing pronounced by the elders. The elders uh, go on to, to call on God to bless this holy union between Boaz and Ruth. <clears throat> and again, these blessings are, are an acknowledgement that things move in ways that are unexpected because they mention uh, Rachel and Leah. And again, we could preach about that for, for two months. But <laughs> this, this history where Jacob was a, 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 an early father of, of, of Israel was tricked into what woman he was going to get. And, and he thought he was going to marry one sister, but then he, he, he got, had to marry the other one, and then he winds up getting the other st- initial sister. And it's not a union that would have, we would look at as a Christian and say, oh, that's something that I want for my kids, or that's something I want for myself. But God used it. God used the imperfect situation to, to promulgate, to push forward his plan. The imperfect circumstances have led to the fulfillment of God's blessing. So when they call on it, they, call it, they mention uh, Perez and Tamar, and this is Boaz's own ancestors. His, his, own, his own ancestors are not unlike the ancestors of the Moabites because it, uh, this, is, this is another product of, of someone marrying and procreating with their daughter-in-law, 
which is another no-no back then and today. It's, it's, it's these imperfect situations. It's these, it's these disastrous situations. And God is weaving disaster and sin all together to create this tapestry of his glory. He's using all of these ugly situations and he's pushing it forward for his glory. And we see it done through Ruth. She's mentioned briefly as the kind of connector between the scene of Boaz and the scene of, of Naomi. And we witness, uh, I mean, throughout all these chapters, we've witnessed this kind of, uh, this perpetual blessing. Like everyone around her is always, oh, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord bless you. Uh, Boaz says, you know, you are a servant. Let the Lord's wings envelop you. There, he's, she, she's constantly being blessed and being call, having God called call down upon her. God, uh, Boaz calls her a servant of God. And this story, despite Ruth coming from this incestuous line and coming from a people that would be considered sordid and, and looked down upon in this culture and to the people that are reading this story even at that time, they, they see her as, um, as this person that's worth being blessed, this person that's worth being called into God's loving embrace. And it cli- there's this climactic union in verse 13 where the guy gets the girl. And I said before in the beginning that this is the happy story. The guy gets the girl at the end. And that's like what every Hollywood story is basically written around. Uh, the guy gets the girl. Both, it's because both of them are in love with God first. Both of them are looking, they're posturing their hearts to the Lord. And then in that love, in that, uh, that vertical love, there's a horizontal love that's presented to them. So they, they, they had their priorities squared away from day one. They loved God. They love God. They want to serve God. And in that, they are blessed with a union. They are blessed with a relationship. They are blessed with faithfulness, with, 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 with tangible blessings, because they go on to have a child together. And the Lord blesses her, a foreigner from Moab, with a son. And it's through this blessing of Ruth that we now flow into Naomi that we now go into the story to closing with Naomi, the, the woman we opened up with a few weeks ago who called herself bitter, who, con, who acknowledged that she, she was complaining about calamity having befallen her. And she's proclaimed by the women that this is not a blessing just for Boaz and Ruth, that she's, they call, they, Naomi has a son now. That's how they see it, that the Lord has now seen fit to bless Naomi with a son because of the faithfulness of those around her. And it's funny because she talks about how she was emptied in Moab, and she was. She was emptied in Moab, but she was emptied for a purpose. Her, her, her suffering had a purpose because, again, as, as, as we believe Scripture, to, for God to ordain these things, to make sense of the tragedies in our lives, she was emptied and prepared and, and readied to love this boy, to love this young boy that was born to her. She was blessed with her. She's filled up with her, with, with, with the son, and they say that your daughter-in-law is worth seven sons because of look what she has produced by God's grace. And she's brought them, she's brought them full circle. I'm sorry, I'm so handsy. I'm so handsy. I get, I get really excited. <laughs> uh, the Lord has brought her full circle in this little boy. He now fills up Naomi. She was emptied in Moab to be filled up in this exact moment. And that's despite that unfaithfulness that we've talked about. Because throughout this whole story, Naomi's kind of dropped the ball a bunch of times. And, you know, she, she, she followed her husband into, into Moab, thinking that she could handle situations better there. She, she gets called back in, and she tries to take things into her own hands when she sees a potential connection between Boaz and Ruth. Uh, she's, she's constantly trying to do things her own way, and yet God uses those around Naomi to bless her. And this display of blessing, of faithfulness, 
of, of Hesed by Ruth and by Boaz, it, it leads to a blessing and a, fulfill, a fulfillment for Naomi. And it all leads to the inspiration and blessing of those around them. Because God, God is again using this not just to bless Naomi, not just to bless Ruth and Boaz, but the women that get to witness it. The women say, uh, they, they, they say, uh, uh, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. They get to rejoice in sharing it. That's why I think it's so important as a Christian community to not just hit each other up with prayers when we're suffering and when we're upset because it's the, it's the, it's the ability to rejoice on the good things around us as well that fill other people up. It's, it makes me happy to see other people succeed. It makes me happy to hear when people are doing well in school or to hear when someone has a new relationship or when someone got a new job or when someone's just feeling good. It makes us happy. And, and they literally turn and praise God to the good news. That was something I did not understand when I came to Christ. Like initially, I did not understand like how someone could, like I remember when I was a kid, I watched I would watch the NFL because I'm, I'm thinking my daughters are in cheerleader uniforms today. So um, I would watch the NFL and I'd watch these players drop to their knees and thank God for a game. And they lost. And I remember asking my dad, like, they lost. Or they, <laughs> what are they thanking God for? And he would say, I didn't come from a Christian family, but he would say, you know, maybe they're thanking God because they didn't get hurt. Or maybe they're thanking God because they had fun or something like that. But in reality, it's teaching us what those men are actually were displaying is this idea that you are constantly in, per, in perpetuity thanking the Lord for everything, for the good and the bad, for the ble- but especially for the blessings. God is using a blessing of a, of a birth to glorify himself. They are saying, blessed be the Lord, praise God. They look and marvel at what God has done in this woman's life. And so this is a happy ending to this little family. And they get to go on and they get to have a healthy boy and, and, and Naomi gets to be a grandma which is probably what she wanted in Moab. <laughs> she, she, she's excited. I think of my own mother, how excited she is to see the girls and to see my brother's twins. And, and I can imagine this, exu- this exuberant happiness that she's, she's on dis- she has on display. But there's more to the story because they, they specifically point out that, that Obed, who is Na- Naomi's grandson, who's the, the boy that was just born, he's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And that's, that's King David. That's for, for, we, we, know this as, as, we know him as the greatest king of Israel, the greatest king that ever was that would bring glory and power and prestige to Israel. And it, Sinclair Ferguson had pointed out as I was, as I was working through stuff a, a, great, a great simplification here. He said, if there was no emigration of Elimelech, there would be no return of Ruth. If there was no return of Ruth, there is no marriage to Boaz. With no marriage to with no marriage to Boaz, there's no Obed. With no Obed, there's no Jesse. With no Jesse, there's no David. And so, again, we see this grand scheme, this grand play on working, of working out of God's plans, of God's providence. And that means the hurt that, she, that Naomi experienced was for a purpose. That means the faithfulness that Ruth had to step out in was for a reason, it had a purpose. This great king, on top of all that, has come from one of the most unlikeliest of places. We talked about how it would, normally take, uh, it would normally take 30 generations to, to even come back into the fold, to come back into, into the church community. And yet the greatest king that Israel has ever known came from an incestuous line off to the side and came from Boaz, who has his own problems, as we mentioned, with his, the generations before. And I keep emphasizing throughout, throughout, these, uh, throughout these exhortations that despite this grand scheme, despite the ability for us to step back and like look at this from 30,000 feet, 
I keep emphasizing that Ruth didn't know the outcome. That Ruth did not know when she, when she chose to pursue Yahweh and go back with Naomi to Judah, she did not know that that's where she was heading. She didn't know that the greatest king would come from her lineage. She never probably could have imagined how good it could be. She probably didn't even imagine meeting someone like Boaz. And yet she stepped out in faithfulness day by day without knowing exactly what was going to happen. She stepped forward with faithfulness. And I think, for myself at least, I think maybe sometimes that's why life feels a little incomplete. Even when things are going well, I feel sometimes that, like, I'm missing something or something's a little bit off or not quite perfect. And I think it's, I think it's because we, we feel like we're missing something because God is still weaving this tapestry together. Like, we're not, we're not getting to see the finished product ever. We're never going to see the finished product because God's going to continue weaving it even after we're dead. Even after we're gone, God willing, for, for as long as it takes for him to complete his plan to call those that he's going to call, we, we, we're going to continue moving forward in that tapestry. We're never going to finish it. On this side of eternity, we're never going to see it finished. And over the past weeks, I've asked time and again for us to conjure up our hurts, for us to conjure up tragedies that we might face, that, that, the, the hurts, the, the sicknesses that our loved ones experience, the illnesses, the, the, the depressions, I've asked us to conjure those up with the idea that we should contemplate and meditate on what God is doing, that God's providence is working through this. And I do believe that. I do believe God is Lord. I believe that he is completely Lord over all aspects of our lives. But I have to take it one step further as we close, uh, as we close this week. Because in this repurposing of our lives, we must not limit God and try to understand every single little thing in our lives either. Like it's okay to come together and to pray about things, but we can't question every single little aspect of our lives wondering, oh, is this, is this meaningful? Is this what God wants me to do? And I'm preaching to myself here because I'm not in this position. I'm constantly overanalyzing. But we, not to stress over every single little detail in our lives and, and let it distract us from the blessing that our lives are. Let, let it distract us from, from enjoying the blessings that the Lord has already bestowed upon us. His providence, his plan, his purpose, it includes me, but it doesn't center on me. It, it includes me, but it doesn't center on me. So it's possible that some of these things that we're experiencing, like Naomi experienced, like Ruth experienced, like Boaz experienced, are actually being completed and, and, and expounded out for someone else's benefit. And what a beautiful, what a beautiful privilege that is as a Christian to know that something in our lives could impact even just one other person. Just one other person. If, 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 if one bad thing happened to me and it impacted someone else in, for, for Christ, what a, what a glorious thing to experience. And what a glorious thing to come to realize when we come face to face with God at the end, at the end of days. In this story, each person has personally, has, has experienced has said, and they've been personally impacted and they've, it's led to a repurposing of their lives. And again, sometimes it's for their own benefit, but sometimes it's for the benefit of those around them. But all of them have been used for purposes greater than they could have imagined. All of them have been used for greater purposes than they could have imagined. I know it's long, and I'm not going to dive into it right now. If you want to write it down, just dive into the Gospel of Matthew, just the first, the first chapter, because it doesn't even just stop with David. Those are the, we know in this room that David's line goes on. We've witnessed a small blip, a very small blip in the entire story that is leading to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that comes down from this line 
a messy, terrible, sometimes terribly motivated line of people to lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. This repurposing that we're witnessing in the book of Ruth, as well as in our own lives, it, it confirms that God's plan includes us, but it does not center on us. That there are other things at play and other things in motion. And, and, and maybe in the thick of it, it doesn't give us a lot of relief to know that in our, when we're experiencing the hurt first up, up close and personal. But I pray that as we, as we meditate on that and as we come together as a community, that, that gives us peace and solace. That through all of this, through all of the book of Ruth and through all the aspects in our lives, that our Heavenly Father is bringing about redemption. He's bringing about forgiveness. He's bringing about real, real love. Like not, not, I joke about the movies and stuff like that, but I'm talking about real substantial love, love that we can't even possibly wrap our heads around. He is, he is transforming us and bringing us into that love. And in this story, I, I, I have to be honest, I, I don't see myself as Boaz because he's, he's too holy. And I said before, I don't see myself as Ruth. She's way too faithful, and I am a warrior and a questioner. I see myself a little bit as Naomi, uh, jumping the gun, lacking of faith, trying to take things into my own hands. And yet, as I, as I read this time and time again, look at all that has been done for Naomi, this, this, this faithless person, this faithless person because God has called her according to his purposes, and it's for her good and for his glory. And so what could possibly be transpiring and being conjured around each of us today? What, what blessings might be around the corner for each of us today? And I'm not talking about it in a prosperity sense. I'm talking about real, substantial, life-changing blessings. And it, what it is is God holding fast. His providence is repurposing us. And it's in this providence that we can find hope. It's in this providence that we can trust the Lord to do what he's going to do. And it's, it's, I pray that it's in our lives and through, the, through our lives and at the end of our lives that God's will be done. When, when we say to our Father again, that we, we pray that with fervency that God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that we mean it, and that it's done in our lives and in your lives and in my own life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to exhort your word. I thank you for a loving congregation who is patient and kind and after you, Lord, that our hearts are, are even in our worst days, postured towards loving you. Lord, we, we abide in your, in your son, Jesus. We rest in, in the peace that comes with knowing him. And Lord, we ask you to have your will done in our lives. Time and time again, Lord, help us in our unbelief and be with us as we go about our days and into the week ahead. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you and we worship you on your powerful name. Amen.